Merry Christmas. How are we today? You guys ready for the word? All right. Isaiah and Luke, if you have your Bible, you can head over there. Merry Christmas. You got three days till Christmas. Moms and grandmas, you're, you're already, you know, bought the gifts and everything. You're just on the home stretch here. I'm sure those kids will love the gifts that you bought for them a couple months ago. It's going to be great. Dads and grandpas, you got three days. <laughs> plenty of time. Plenty of time to buy the gifts. You got plenty of time, all right? If you're not married, just show up, all right? No expectations, right? No expectations. If you don't have little kids, you can sleep in. I hate you. I mean, it's going to be great. I love Christmas. Christmas is about hope. It's about expectation. I'm pumped up. My kids are pumped. I want to see them open gifts. I want to I want to see their faces. I want to see Erin open the gift that I'm going to get her in the next three days. I want to see that happen. I'm excited about Christmas. Christmas, Christmas is about hope. And it's fun. Christmas is fun. I love Christmas. Every year I love Christmas. It's about eager expectation and hope. It's, it's about more than just presents, right? But I'm like everybody else. I like to see my kids open presents. I like to take my kids on a Christmas trip. I like to have extra time with my family during Christmas holidays. I think it's fun. I think Christmas is fun. But I understand that some people struggle with Christmas. I understand it's not fun for everyone. Sometimes families can't gather together. Sometimes they gather together only to be torn apart. Sometimes sickness and death and betrayal and and maybe just geography get in the way of of Christmas. I, I understand that. But I think if we're all honest with ourselves, a lot of times we get amped up for Christmas, we have all these high, big expectations, and then we're just kind of let down on the backside of it. We get the Christmas blues or the Christmas hangover or whatever you want to call it. But it's because Christmas, more than any other season, it carries these unrealistic expectations, And when unrealistic expectations meet reality, it's difficult, right? It's it's difficult and you don't get what you want maybe or maybe worse, you get what you want but you find it lacking. You get let down and add to that Jesus' birth and all that means for us as Christ followers and the pressure there for parents and others to make it about Jesus and if you're not careful, you can really find yourself in a downward spiral in January. But I really think it's all about expectations and and perspective. Because there's a difference between unrealistic expectations and like healthy hope, right? There's a difference between hoping for a Red Ryder BB gun and the kind of hope that Christmas is really about, right? There's a difference between those two things. And and here's what hope is. Hope, Hope is always something or someone And it's always the expectations we place on that something or someone, right? It's a person or a thing, and it's the expectations that we place on that person or thing. And so we're hoping in something or someone, and we're expecting that person or that thing to to provide for us, to fulfill a need, to give us a desire or something like that, to deliver. that's That's what hope is. Hope's always an object and an expectation. And you might not realize this, but you are hardwired for hope. 
You are created for it. You're created to seek after after it. You're created to look outside of yourself for fulfillment and satisfaction. You are created to hope. You're hardwired for hope. But the thing is, we tend to look in all the wrong places for hope, right? We tend to place our hope in the wrong in the wrong places, and that causes us to get frustrated and disillusioned, disappointed, confused, jaded. Because we've put our hope in the wrong places, because we place our hope in things or people that cannot deliver. And inherent within this idea of hope is the unwelcome reality of waiting, right? How many of you love to wait? Anybody? Just love it. You're like, I just love waiting. It's just my favorite thing to do. Most of us, most of us don't like it. There's a word that kind of surrounds the Christmas season, depending on your Depending on your uh, tradition, uh, it's the word Advent. Have you ever heard that word, Advent? Advent calendar, Advent season. Uh, some churches will do an Advent series uh, in, in Christmas or an Advent service uh, for Christmas Advent. Advent literally means the arrival of one long awaited. The arrival of one long awaited. You probably don't like to wait. I, I don't like to wait. We've never been good at it as, as humankind, right? But doesn't it seem like our, our capacity, our threshold for waiting is like the worst it's ever been in the history of the planet. Doesn't it seem like that? I mean, because of technology and all of that. Here's what I'm saying. I, I'm not old, right? Not as old as a lot of you. Uh, I'm not old, but, I, but I'm not really young anymore either. And so, so I was around for dial-up internet. Do you guys remember dial-up internet? Such an interesting thing. We would sit in front of the computer... We would click connect and then this. And we would just wait. Staring at the AOL logo, right? Some of you still have AOL email. I don't know how you're doing that. It's awesome. And we would just wait. And wait. And wait. Until finally it would connect or it wouldn't and we would do it again. A lot of times it wouldn't. It would take multiple times to connect because it was like the internet was going, no, you can't connect. I'm busy, right? Or your mom would pick up the, the phone uh, while you're trying. You're like, mom, I'm trying to connect to the internet. That was not, you know, tip number 76. You just messed it up, right? You get a busy signal from the internet. I mean, that's rejection. The internet rejected you. I mean, it was... It was tough. It, and once we did get connected, like then it was still, everything we wanted to look at, everything we clicked on, it was so slow, wasn't it? But we didn't know any better, did we? We thought it was fast. We're like, this is amazing. We thought it was fast. Fast forward to now, and I'm trying to open something on my phone, a, a, a link or a, a web page, an article, a picture, whatever, and I click on it, and if it's not, if it's not loaded in four seconds, I'm out right? I'm out. I'm like, I'm never going to look at that picture. I don't care. I'm never going to see that article. Four seconds and I, I am out. But think, think about this. How, how long does it, how long will you wait for something to load on your phone? I mean, is it four seconds? Is it like me? About four seconds and you're done? I'm, I'm serious because it was about four seconds. I'm like, what happened? Did I just Step through a wormhole into 1995? Like, where am I? I don't want to do this anymore, right? I, I just don't have patience for it. Is it four seconds? Is it 
10 seconds, 30 seconds. How long will you stare at your phone and wait for this thing to load? Two minutes? That'd be like an eternity, right? But think about this. We'll wait for other things longer than two minutes. We'll wait, we'll wait in lines for things, right? Like some of you, some of you spend thousands of dollars to take your kids and your whole family to Disney World to wait in line after line after line after line. Was that too close to home? <laughs> Did that hurt some feelings? I'm so sorry. You're like, no, we get the fast pass. <laughs> that just means you wait in lines faster. But it's the same thing. You just wait in lines, right? I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting faster. No. Some of you went out a couple of weeks ago and you, you waited in lines at 2 or 3 a.m. on Black Friday to get some trinket, some deal, right? You, you waited in lines. I, I waited a year from the time I asked Aaron, my wife, to marry me into the time until we got married, right? I waited years to have kids and nine months each time, just like everybody else. I waited, right? I persevered through, through four years of university to, to get an undergraduate degree and then a few years after that to get a, get a master's degree. So what's the deal? I mean, what determines my threshold for waiting, it's what's on the other side of the waiting, right? It's what's on the other side of the waiting. You, your threshold for waiting is determined by what you're waiting for. What you're waiting for. Christmas is about hope. It's about, it's about hope. It's about eager expectation. It's about hope fulfilled. So it should... It should remind us each year to ask this question, where do I put my hope? In whom do I put my hope? And not just in like an existential, like far out there, theoretical, lofty way either, but to ask the question based on my, my priorities, my actions, the decisions I make, the way I live my life, where am I placing my hope? In whom am I placing my hope? In what am I placing my hope? Look at Isaiah Chapter 9 with me really quick. Um, Isaiah 9. Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet, and he's prophesying the book of Isaiah is happening about 750 years before the first Christmas. So 750 years before what we're going to celebrate on Wednesday, before Jesus was born, Isaiah is prophesying. And Isaiah's calling is to tell the people of Israel that they need to change, they need to repent, or some judgment is going to come. The Assyrians are going to come, and it's going to be really bad. But but more specifically, Isaiah's calling is to, to tell the people this message and to not be heard by them. Isaiah's calling is to preach sermon after sermon after sermon and never be listened to. I can relate, right? I'm just kidding. I can't. I can't relate. You guys always put into practice what we teach here, right? On Monday. Okay, so his, his calling is to spit, to spit in the wind. It's, it's a waste, to never be heard. And so uh, the first few chapters in the book of Isaiah, they kind of lay out this picture of the Israelites and, and their sin. And, and basically, they're, they're honoring God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. They are hypocrites. They come into the assembly of worship, and they offer sacrifices, but then they leave they say all the right things, but then they, they leave and they, they go out and they neglect the, the orphans and the widows. They oppress the poor. 
They're just hypocrites. It would be like you, like, like you coming here every Sunday, smiling, singing songs, reading the Bible, like even dropping a few dollars in the bucket as it goes by, and then leaving here and Monday through Saturday doing nothing to address the orphan crisis or the killing of unborn babies in our nation or our, our state of Illinois or in the Peoria area. It'd be like that. It'd be like that kind of hypocrisy. That's what's going on in Isaiah. And so he kind of lays this whole thing out. And then in Isaiah 9, he starts to talk about this hope. He starts to talk about how there's going to be a day when these things are going to change. There's going to be this Messiah that is going to come and he's going to set things right. And people stuck in darkness will see this great light and Israel's going to be saved and their enemies destroyed. And so Isaiah is giving them hope in, in chapter 9 of um, of his, of his book. And then in verse six of chapter nine, he starts to get really specific. You've heard this before. Let me read it to you. It says this, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So Isaiah is saying there's there's this hope. One is coming, a ruler is coming, he's going to be different, he's going to be different, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He goes, he goes, he's going to be the Messiah, his peace will be everlasting, his kingdom eternal, his righteousness and justice uncompromising. God will accomplish this, he says. And so this is 750 years before Jesus is born on earth. Isaiah goes, for unto us a child is born 750 years later, right? Unto us a child is born in 750 years. And this prophecy about Jesus being born in Isaiah, it's not, it's not like Isaiah starts it. It, it. it starts way earlier than that, right? Like if you turn your Bible all the way to the beginning, that's where the prophecy of the coming Messiah starts. This goes way back to the beginning. When, when just after Adam and Eve fall, just after they sin and the fall of mankind happens, God is pronouncing judgment on the serpent, not a snake, but on Satan incarnate, on evil incarnate. And so on Satan, he pronounces this judgment. He says, there will be a day where a son of Adam and Eve, an offspring of Adam and Eve, will crush your head and end your tyranny End your reign of terror and sin forever. So this goes all the way back to the beginning. That's at least 4,000 years. At least 3,000 years before Isaiah prophesies. 4,000 years before the first Christmas when Jesus is actually born. 4,000 years. I can't wait four seconds for my webpage to load on my phone. 4,000 years. There's this hope, this object, and these crazy expectations placed on this person, this, this Christ, this 
Messiah, there will be a day, there will be one coming who will fulfill the longing of your heart, who will make everything new, who will change everything. There is one coming, 4,000 years. And then there are 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, 400 years, 400 years of prophetic silence. So look at, look at Luke chapter 2. 400 years of prophetic silence, and then into this silence, he came. This young lady named Mary is visited by an angel. The angel says that she's going to give birth, and she's going to give birth to the Messiah. The angel uses a lot of the same words that Isaiah uses in his prophecy, so there's no doubt this is going to be the Messiah. Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, is already with child. She'll give birth to John the Baptist. So Mary goes to Elizabeth, and when Mary arrives, John the Baptist, in the womb of his mother, leaps as he gets close to the Messiah in the womb of his mother, in Mary's womb. And Elizabeth says this to Mary. She says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. In other words, blessed is she who held out hope. Joseph, Mary's betrothed, is, is unsure, right? I mean, his, his fiance is pregnant. He's not the father. He's thinking he's going to divorce her quietly, but then he's visited by an angel as well in a dream, and he changes course. He stays with Mary. He believes that this son will be the son of God, the Messiah. Wise men see a star, and they start following it because they believe it heralds the birth of a king who will be greater than any other king. Joseph and Mary are forced to go to Bethlehem for the census. Mary is great with child, about to have the baby. And then some angels in Luke 2 appear to some sleepy shepherds working the night shift right outside of Bethlehem. And the angels say this to those shepherds. It's Luke 2 verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So the word Christ just means Messiah. It's the same word. And so he... He's come. The the Messiah is here. The angels tell the shepherds, the Messiah is here. He's finally 4,000 years of waiting, and the Messiah is here. The the shepherds do probably what you would do if you were visited by a chorus of angels. They do what the angels say, right? And so they run to Bethlehem, verse 16. They they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. It's odd that he's lying in a manger. You'll know that it's the Messiah because he'll be lying in a manger. Because a manger isn't a wooden bassinet like most of our manger scenes show, right? It's not a clean wooden bassinet. It's a trough for, for animals to eat from. So it's strange to put a baby in a trough, right? That's why this was a sign. He'll be lying in a manger. He was lying in a manger. Jesus Christ is born. And then on his eighth day, as was the custom, as was in line with the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph take baby Jesus to present him in the temple because he's a firstborn son. And at that time, there's this guy living in Jerusalem named Simeon. And Simeon is a righteous man 
full of the Holy Spirit. And God has told Simeon that he will not die before he lays eyes on the coming one, the Messiah, the one promised for 4,000 years. And so Simeon goes into the temple where Mary and Joseph are presenting baby Jesus. And he just kind of picks baby Jesus up and he begins to praise God. It's verse 29. It says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of many peoples, of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Do you hear what Simeon is saying? Simeon's saying, he's here. He's finally here. 4,000 years of waiting and he's here. The light that Isaiah was talking about, that people in darkness would behold this great light. The light is finally here. Praise God, the light is here. Thank you, God, that you have sent your Messiah. That's what he's saying. 4,000 years of hopeful waiting. And then, Advent, the arrival of someone long awaited. God put on flesh and came to live among us. It's huge. God came here. He spanned the gap. He, he solved the problem. He, he came here. He fixed our problem. He, he, he fixed all of it. He, he went all the full distance for us. Listen, when you're at a concert, the band doesn't sit next to you in the chairs. When you're at a football game, the star quarterback, Trubisky or Rogers or whoever, they don't sit with you in the stands. When you go to court, the, the judge doesn't come out from around the desk and sit with you in the seat of condemnation. The band stays on the stage. The football players stay on the field. The judge stays in his seat high and lifted up. But Jesus, Jesus left heaven. He came to earth. He entered human history. And not as a king or a ruler either. He came as a lowly servant, a son born to a poor carpenter, born in a barn, born out of wedlock, wrapped in swaddling cloths. Most scholars believe it was just whatever Mary and Joseph had, probably an undershirt of sorts, laid in a feeding trough. His first smells of wet hay and warm animal dung. He didn't come to a royal palace to be served. He came to a barn to serve. We serve a God who came down, who spanned the gap, who came here. 4,000 years. 4,000 years from the first prophecy through to when Jesus was actually born. Only hope to hold on to. Only prophecies to hold on to, interwoven throughout those 4,000 years, each one telling us a little bit more about the Messiah than the last. Only expectation, this object, and these expectations we've put on him. But where's your hope now? Because 2,000 more years have passed. 2,000 years since Jesus was born. So, so where's your hope now? We, we know the rest of the story well, right? This, 
Christ, he, he would not remain an infant, although he would remain poor. He would grow up and live a sinless life. He would enter into ministry. He would teach with authority. He would heal thousands of people from sickness and demon possession. He would only ever serve and love people, even people who criticized him, spit on him, mocked him, beat him, and eventually executed him. He would live to 33 years old and then die on a Roman cross. His body would be laid in a tomb, his followers distraught, disillusioned, doubting. But then, three days later, he would rise back to life. He would defeat death and hell once and for all. He would remain with his followers for 40 days, resurrected, teaching them. And then he would ascend into heaven where the Bible says that he now sits at the right hand of the Father. But he wouldn't leave us abandoned. He wouldn't leave us as orphans. He would send his Holy Spirit to live in us and guide us and teach us. We're going to spend the first seven Sundays in 2020 talking about just the Holy Spirit in a series I'm just calling Ghosted. Don't ghost the Holy Ghost, all right? That's what we're going to be talking about. Don't ignore the Holy Ghost. So, so don't miss that this next season as we start in January, on January 5th. But there's this hope, Christmas Christmas is about hope. 4,000 years, there were, these, there were these promises, these prophecies, this hope to hold on to. And now, 2,000 years have passed, and there's promises and prophecies again about Jesus returning. And he won't return as a baby. He won't return as a lowly servant, but he'll return as a conquering king. Acts chapter 1, the followers of Jesus, the disciples, they're staring up in the sky where Jesus has just disappeared. And all of a sudden, angels appear around them and they say, men of Galilee, what are you looking at? Why are you staring up in the sky? Jesus is gonna come back. Go get to work. He'll come back. He's gonna come back the same way that he left, from the sky, from heaven. So we hope again. We, we expect again. We long for him again, and not just us, but the whole world, the whole of creation is groaning, longing, waiting, hoping for Jesus to return and set things right once and for all. Look at Romans 8.22. It says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now look at verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So our longing, our hope, our desire is in him. It's in, it's in Jesus' return. You are hardwired for hope. Where are you putting our, your hope? Where are you putting your hope? Because the only place we can put our hope is in the fact that in this season and in any season, it is in, in the fact that God fulfills his promises. He has fulfilled his promises and he will not 
leave us or forsake us, he will not abandon us. That's the only place that we can put our hope. But listen, beloved, sometimes we just don't like his timeline, right? Sometimes we just don't think his timeline is right. We don't like his timing, and so that makes us frustrated, and, and we lose focus. We, we begin to focus on created things. We begin to put our hope in created things as if the creator of those things has somehow abandoned us and left us. You're going, Pastor, it's been 2,000 years. 2,000 years since Jesus ascended. I want to encourage you by telling you that God, God has not been silent about why he tarries, why he waits. The Bible is clear that he waits because there are more to be saved, more to be drawn in, more lives to be transformed. So until the mission is complete, he'll tarry. He will wait. So sin and death have already been defeated that happened at the resurrection, but the full realization of that, the consummation of that has yet to come, is yet to come. You are hardwired for hope. Christmas is is all about hope, hope fulfilled, hope in the future. But I heard someone say this one time, that hopelessness is the doorway to real hope. Sounds kind of counterintuitive. Hopelessness is the doorway to true hope. Look back at Isaiah with me again. This time, not Isaiah chapter 9, but Isaiah chapter 59, if you have your Bible. And we'll start reading in verse 9. But in the first eight verses of before what we're about to read, God issues this charge to the people, to humankind, to you and to me, the Israelites and to you and to me. And so it's brutal what he says. He says, your sin is separating you from God. He, he says, your hands are defiled. You run after evil all the time. He says that your lips tell lies and no one is just or honest. He says that you, you, spend, you spend these, these webs of deceit and try to cover yourself up, but they're not working. They're not covering yourself up. You're naked in your sin. God knows what your heart is like. He knows what you really like and you run as fast as you can to evil all the time. There's no justice. There's no peace. This is the charge against you and me, against humankind. That's the charge. But then there's this kind of shift into a confession. It starts in verse 9 of chapter 59. It says this, therefore justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We hope for the wall. We grope for the the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we're, we're like dead men. We all growl like bears and moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us. This is describing you and me in our lostness, that we are so lost, it's like someone has shut the lights of our life off. We're just in darkness. We can't find, we're groping around as if we are blind. No vision whatsoever. Have you ever been lost with someone before? Like driving somewhere, you get lost. It's kind of hard to be lost these days. You got to find a, a place that doesn't have any signal or something, right? But if you've ever been lost with somebody, one of two things will happen. 
One, you'll confess that you're lost and ask for help. But that never happens, right? Two, you'll begin to blame the person next to you for your lostness. In Isaiah, the answer is confession. We're lost and we know it. That's where they go, verse 12. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, God, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God. Speaking oppression and revolt. Conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. So, so this, is, this is going, I, it's me, I confess. It's me, I, I'm the problem, right? I, I'm the problem, it's not something else. And when you're in that moment where you're going, it's, the problem is me, then you're in this, this moment of utter hopelessness, right? Utter hopelessness. Because you're going, I can, I can run from someone else. I can run from a place. I can run from a situation, but I can't run from me. It's impossible to run from yourself because you run really fast and you're still there, right? It's impossible to run from yourself and it's exhausting to try. And so they're going, man, I've got a problem that I can't solve, solve. This is hopelessness. It's hopelessness because you start to realize that not only are you hopeless, but everybody else is too. And so any new situation, new job, new relationship, new person, new town, it's just gonna be populated by hopeless people. There is no hope to be found. If you say, if only I had blank, then I, would, then I would be okay. My life would be better. If I just had this one thing, whatever it is, if I just had blank, then my life would be better. What fills that blank for you? Whatever it is, it's false hope. It's unrealistic expectations. Because what you're doing is you're saying this thing or this person or this change or this place or this amount of money or whatever it is, that it's going to be your personal savior. It's going to be your personal Messiah. It's going to give you the hope and the love and the joy and the happiness and the security and the comfort that your heart longs for. But beloved, it won't, it won't do it. It will fail you. It will fail you because creation has no ability whatsoever to be your Messiah. Only your creator does. And so money, stuff, a new man, a new woman, a new house, a new place, it will all fail you. None of it can deliver on the hope that you're placing in it. None of it can sustain your hope. Are you encouraged yet? Yeah. But, but it is actually encouraging because... Because hopelessness is the doorway to true hope, to real hope. And it's in the midst of this reality of hopelessness that we find God strong, constant, faithful, able to deliver 
on our hopes. Because look at where Isaiah 59 goes next, starting in the second half of verse 15. It says, the Lord saw it and it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. So God goes, there's, there's no man, there's no man who's fixed that can come in and fix everybody else. Everybody's broken. Everybody is hopeless. There's no one to save them. But he doesn't walk away. He doesn't turn his back. Look at what happens next. He says, then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. Anytime you see in the Old Testament this phrase, the arm of the Lord, the arm of God, it's, it's a name for the Messiah. It's talking about the Messiah. It's talking about Jesus Christ. And so God goes, in the midst of your most hopeless situation, when you finally admit that you've got no shot at fixing this thing, in the midst of your hopelessness, I'm going to send you hope. It's not going to be a situation. It's not going to be a venue change. It's not going to be a bunch of money. It's not going to be some human relationship. I'm going to send you hope, and his name is Jesus Christ. I'm going to send you hope in Jesus. And then he did. He sent Jesus. Jesus came. He fulfilled his promise. So where are you putting your hope? In a man or a woman? I'm sure you got stories. How many men and women have let you down before your current one? Where, where, do, you, where do you put your hope? Where are you putting your hope? In a place? How's that, wor how's that worked out in the past? Changing venue? How's that worked out for you? Where are you putting your hope? In a, in a new job? A new house? A a new relationship, a new book, a new church, a new exercise routine. Like, what do you, what do you put, how's that working out for you? How has that worked out in the past? I'll tell you, it's going to work out the same way it's worked out in the past. These things will fail you because they cannot deliver your hope like you want them to. False hope, unrealistic expectations. And yet many of you do this over and over and over and over. You place your hope in this and it fails you. You place your hope in this and it fails you. You place your hope in that over there and it fails you. Over and over and over. You want to know why? Because you are hardwired for hope. You're created to hope. Created to seek after it and run after it. The whole of creation was set up this way so that you would hope in this, find it hopeless. Hope in that, find it hopeless. And do it over and over and over until your eyes were open to the truth that there is only one in whom your hope belongs. And that is Jesus Christ. One person believes it. Hopelessness is the doorway to real hope. And I'm praying that today is that moment for you, for many of you, where you feel hopeless 
and you step through that doorway to real hope and your eyes are opened to the truth that there is only one in whom, you, in whom your hope belongs. I'm praying that today is that day for you. But don't forget that hope includes waiting. And our threshold for waiting is determined by what we're waiting for. A spouse, kids, a ride at Disney World, or a web page to load on our phone. Our threshold for hope, our threshold for waiting is determined by what we're waiting for. And Jesus, he's coming back and he's worth the wait. At all of our campuses, Germantown Online, Washington, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for your word that is both timely and timeless, timely in the sense that it changes us, timeless in the sense that it never changes. We're thankful for that. Whatever was of me today in this sermon, let it fall to the wayside and be quickly forgotten. But God, whatever was of you, let it haunt us and lead us to repentance this week. Let it be like good seed that finds good soil in the hearts of many, takes root and eventually, maybe quickly, bears fruit. God, my prayer over the last few weeks as I've been looking forward to this service this day on Christmas Sunday, God, my prayer has been that we would put our hope completely and totally in you. I pray, God, for those in this room who have yet to experience the hopelessness of everything else failing them. And they actually are struggling to get to this idea that we should hope in only one and only you. I pray that, God, you would bring them to that place of hopelessness, whether that's just by your word piercing the darkness and the confusion, just by you opening their eyes today, or by you bringing circumstances, situations, people in their lives that will show them how hopeless everything else is. But I pray that today would be that day where hopelessness gives way to hope, the only real hope, the only true hope in you, Jesus, for many in this room. I pray for that, per that person who was with me right at the beginning when I said, the first time I said, hopelessness is the doorway to hope. They were like, well, that's me. I'm hopeless. Somebody died. Somebody left me. Somebody betrayed me. I've put my hope in a job and it failed me. I put my hope in gaining things and status and it failed me. I put my hope in a man or a woman and they failed me. I pray for that person who is feeling that hopelessness today. I pray, God, that you would supernaturally transform their hopelessness to hope, that they would once and for all put their hope in the only place that, that it can deliver, the only one who can deliver on that hope in you. As we continue in an attitude of prayer today with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, maybe that's you. Maybe you're ready. You're ready to, to put your hope finally and completely in Jesus. You're ready to give your life over to him completely, to stop searching everywhere else for, for happiness and joy and fulfillment, for, to, to stop putting your hope in other things. Today you are ready to cross that finish line of faith and finally, once and for all, give your life over to Jesus Christ. 
If that's you, just tell him that. Just begin to pray. You don't need to say a certain prayer. You don't need a pastor or a priest. Just pray. Just tell God how you feel. Just tell him, God, I want to put my hope in you. I don't even know what that looks like. I need help. I want to stop hoping in things, the things of this world. I want to stop hoping in created things. And I want to put all of my hope in the creator of all things. Just tell him, God, I need your help. I want to be transformed. I want to give, your, give my life to you completely and hope in you and you alone. If you're ready to give your life over to Jesus today, if you are praying a prayer like that, you're ready to put your hope in him. And I would love to pray for you today. In our other two services, we had people who raised their hand and said, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to put my hope in you, in Jesus from here on out. So I want to give you that opportunity as well to make that decision. And I would love to pray for you. So if you want to give your life over to Jesus, once and for all, you want to put your hope in him. And with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, I want to pray for you. Just slip your hand up so that I can see and I can pray. If you would want to give your life over to Jesus, yeah, I see that hand at the back. Anyone else? Just slip your hand up so that I can pray. I want to give my life over to Jesus. Let me pray for those with their hands up. Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you are a God who saves, that you are a God who has come down. We celebrate today that you entered human history to save our souls, that you came down. I pray, Jesus, that that would be real in the hearts of every person in here and those specifically who would be bold enough to raise their hand and go, I want to give my life to Jesus. We know that if we're not bold enough even to raise our hands in a moment like this, we won't be bold outside of here. And so for those who would say, I really want to give my life to Jesus, I pray that you would grant them saving faith and that you would protect the seed that was planted today, that they would tell somebody, that they would grow, that they would find help, people to disciple them and lead them. And that they would live this out Monday through Saturday, not just on Sunday. We love you, Jesus. We give them into your hands and we trust you with them and with everything. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Everybody said, amen. Why don't you stand with me? Thank you so much for coming today. We've got prayer team on the sides that would love to pray for you. So if you have prayer needs at all, go to the side, get prayer during this last song. If you just raised your hand to say you want to give your life to Jesus, a few of you did, make sure you go to the prayer team, ask for an I've Decided packet. They'll give that to you. They'll help you take that next step towards God. But, but here's my prayer for us today. May our hope in this season and in every season be in the right place. May the fulfillment of God's promise in the birth of Jesus Christ lead us to hope in the promise of the return of Jesus Christ. And may a profound sense of hopelessness lead us today and every day to put our hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming today. Make sure you talk this over with your life group. If you're not in a life group, just stop at Connection Central. We'll get you plugged in. That's kind of how you become a part of Great Oaks. We'd love for you to get into a life group. And as always, my challenge to you is to leave here not dismissed, but sent. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. I'll see you on Tuesday. Don't miss it. Christmas Eve services. Lots of lost people. Lots of guests in the room. 
So bring as many people as you can so that we can share the love and gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll see you on Tuesday.